Ladies and gentlemen, men and women, children of all ages, you're about to experience the opportunity to get in on the conversation. So do me a favor, join the conversation as you're about to step into the world of conversations about dot, dot, dot. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another fun-filled episode, geeky-filled episode of Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot. And I wish I could say I was alone. The Rascal Brothers uh, have had to step out this week. They were they did a road trip. And so there was some stuff they're doing. There's some traveling they're doing. And so they were off and I didn't know what to do. I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to be by myself on this thing. You know, because I do the solo shows usually on Fridays. And then, of course, we do the regular shows on, you know, release them on Sundays, normally Sundays or early Monday morning. But I'm not alone. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I am the Crafting Cosplayer. She's back, ladies and gentlemen. We did the interview and she was willing to come back and talk some more with me. So that's pretty awesome. Cool. So anyway, I wanted to kind of start this off First of all, with had the happy, the happy, happy, happy 2020s. This is the first official broadcast of the show in the banner of 2020s. Now I know you know we released the conversations interview with DH and Jade on Friday, but of course, you know we actually taped that a few days before, so I couldn't put that in as a first official, you know, episode of 2020. So this will officially be our first episode of 2020. So, yay to that. Woohoo! Little, 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 the little baby came through, you know, brought us a new year, took the old year out with him. We're really going to talk a little bit about what's going on currently with us as far as geeky stuff. But then we're also going to look back at 2019. And this episode will be titled The Year That Some Things Ended. So, the year that stuff ended. Seems like and everything so ended. Talking. There's a lot of stuff that did. There's a lot of stuff that did. There are a lot of a lot of chapters or stories that closed out. And then we'll look forward into the current year that we're in now. And we'll kind of see what we're looking forward to there. So we're going to start this thing off with uh, crap from Miss Crafts and Cosplayer. Uh, what are some shows that you've watched in this past week that you really enjoy want to tell the people about as far as making any recommendations or anything like that? Well, I just finished up the third season of Riverdale. Which, now, Riverdale, of course, is... Uh, Riverdale is based off of the um, comic books, of uh, the Archie comic books with mm-hmm. Betty and Bron. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I do remember reading Archie years ago, and then... I watched some Riverdale that was like, hold up just a minute. This is definitely more teen melodrama than yeah. old school, colorful, super everybody's peppy, everybody's excited. You know, there's always everybody, even the worst guy in this book is still really tame compared to some of the stuff that, you know, has occurred. So what was your favorite part about season three of Riverdale? My gosh, there was so many good. I uh, probably Heather the musical. Oh, they did a musical episode. Yeah, they did a musical episode, and I loved it. 
like so many shows, you know, if you look back at like Buffy and I think Xena, didn't Xena do a musical episode? Episode, yes, they did. And of course, Glee was almost all musical episodes, you know, yeah. but you know, that's kind of their thing. Like if they had done an episode without music on Glee, I would have been concerned. <laughs> yeah, like, that would be a little weird. They're just talking. There's no, there's no songs. There's no artists in the, in the whole show too. What, what's happening? And then you can. Yeah. Uh, oh no! I was just, I, I was gonna let you go ahead and get that out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Well, they they did a musical episode in the second season as well. They did uh, Carrie the musical in the second season, and then they did uh, Heather's the musical in this third season. So it's it's kind of like this is their uh, second musical episode. Oh, okay. And of course, you know, Carrie, for those of you who don't know, was written by Stephen King uh, about a girl who was picked on. Uh, I believe we actually had a remake of that movie based on the book. And then, of course, um, you said, what was the other musical that they did? Heathers. Heathers, okay. I remember seeing the original Heathers, and then they did a reboot of that series a couple of years ago. And I definitely, after watching the movie Heathers, I don't think they stuck the landing with, this, with the reboot. No, it didn't, didn't feel like anything. Like, again, source material. If you have source material and you want to reboot something, tie it to the source material somehow that, or another. You know, at least carry the story on. You know, don't yeah, just try to take the story and say, we're going to put it in a different context and we're going to totally change all this stuff. You know, just put, you know, try to do something different there. Uh, so as far as I've known, uh, I'm going to talk about two things that should have been in an earlier episode, but I just really found out about them, so I'm talking about them now. And that's uh, Christmas Carol, the 2019 version of Christmas Carol done by Guy Pierce. Uh, it's on Hulu. And it, now, and I've not read the story of Christmas Carol in a really, really long time, but I feel like it takes a lot more deeper, darker look at the story of not only of Scrooge, but also Marley, you know, and, and kind of the, 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 the ill conditions that they created for the people that work for them. And I know at one point, you know, without going too spoilery into it, because I, I know it's, it's like, I'm not going to watch a Christmas Carol. It's after Christmas. I'm like, you really should watch this movie. If you're a fan of classic literature, you should watch this movie. You know, just because of the themes that are in it. You know, it's kind of the big questions like, how are we treating people? What are the results of how we treat people? You know, at one point, I think Scrooge makes a statement in the story. He says, you know, we, 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 I don't understand why it is that for one day a year, everybody acts like they're not monsters. Yeah. The rest of the year, everybody acts like monsters. No one cares for each other. Nobody's concerned about the well-being of others. But for one day, everybody acts like they care. What if we just flipped it where everybody was nice to each other except for like the one day a year where everybody gets to act like monsters. They get to tell everybody how they feel without consequence. You know, this, that, and the other. I'm sort of thinking, so he's basically describing the purge. Basically, that definitely sounds like the purge. He's describing the purge, except not nearly as graphically violent, probably, Although, you know, again, the way some of this stuff is portrayed in this movie, you never know. Uh, but it definitely has a more of a horror event. Uh, there is some language, so it's definitely not for little ones. As a matter of fact, it's rated TVMA, 
So it's about two hours, 52 minutes. So it's one of those, you're going to, you're either going to be in for a long haul or you're going to break it up because basically they describe it as season one, episode one, but it's literally just that whole block is a movie. Oh, wow. And then the other one I saw is Klaus, uh, which Klaus is a Netflix original animated movie uh, based on the mythos behind the story of Santa Claus. And so you have a mailman, without again, without spoiling it, because I feel like you need to watch this, there's a mailman ends up going somewhere, and when he goes there, and, and it's funny because they misspell the name purposely. It's based off a real Dutch place that he actually ends up going, where he has to go and basically deliver so many parcels in the course of a year. His dad basically tells him, if you don't do this, I'm cutting you off of everything. You'll be living in the streets. <laughs> and so you have yeah. a year to make this happen. And so he gets to this town. And basically, imagine the Hatfields and McCoys, except it's a whole entire town that's split down the middle. Oh, wow. And so they're just like, at one point, like the little guy, the little boat guy comes in. And he's all like, well, I thought there'd be a greeting. This is kind of how privileged he is at the start of this. And he comes in, he's like, well, I thought people would come and greet me. I thought there'd be a festival or something. He's like, oh, yeah, go ring that bell. <laughs> They'll bring you all sorts of nice stuff. They'll do all sorts of nice stuff for you. He rings the bell, and that's when they come out to fight each other. Oh, wow. It's just this massive, crazy, just brawl. And then he rings the bell again, and like one of the other, one of the main leaders of each family come out and accuse each other of making him ring the bell to stop the fighting. And so, you know, he ends up going into the fish shop, and, you know, he meets this lovely young lady at the fish shop who originally came there to be a teacher, but because the two families weren't willing to send their kids to school, because they'd have to intermingle with the other kids from the other families, nobody went to school. So oh, here wow. she is, a teacher who can't teach because no one's going to school at all. And so you've got these different stories. And then, of course, Klaus is this woodsman. And, you know, he goes to talk with this woodsman. And, like, he gets this little kid and he draws a picture. And so at one point, the, mo- the, po- the poster is like, He's like, the kid like, yells out of his window, it's like, hey, can you uh, give me back my picture? He's like, I can't give it back to you because you're in the window up there, but I can mail it to you for a penny. Like, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just kind of takes it with him, and it, it, somehow or another, it ends up in the hands of Klaus. Klaus, you have to imagine, this version of Santa Claus is a very large, ripped and I'm not going to say ripped because you never see him outside of his clothing. He just He's a very large, statuesque, imagine a woodsman-type character. He gets his hand on this picture, and so then he sees this little kid, and he sees him behind bars, basically in his own house. And so Klaus finds the postman. He's like, where is this child? Where is this house? And, of course, the postman's kind of scared at first. He's just like, why is this big old huge hoss of a woodman? Like, no, take me here now. You must take me. And so he takes them there, and they basically sneak in that. He, <laughs> they sneak the postman in the house with this box. And so he, <laughs> at one point, he's in the house, and the owner, the dad of this house, has two big old dogs, and they're coming after him. And, like, Klaus steps on a plank of wood, shoots the guy in through the chimney, Hence how you get the Santa Claus myth of the chimney. And so all of a sudden, here comes the postman, goes down the chimney, delivers his toy. The kid opens it, and it's a wooden frog. 
with a spring mechanism and all that stuff. So, of course, he winds the frog up and the car's hopping around in his room. And you see Klaus and this postman just watch this kid's eyes light up and world change just out of, uh, just out of getting this toy. And so then all of a sudden the postman wakes up the next day in his post house and all these kids are going, hey, we were told if we write letters that we'll get toys. And so that's kind of how the whole adventure begins. Uh-huh. And so without spoiling a whole bunch of stuff, I mean, it, it gets interesting, it gets crazy. The beautiful thing about the anim- the animation in and of itself is really beautiful. Uh, it's hand-drawn 2D animation, but what they did was they took it through a light filter to create the illusion of a 3D cartoon. So you see the full volume of the shapes and everything, but it's not it's not CG. So it's really uh-huh. neat on the animation style, so I really enjoyed it a lot. So, you talked about Riverdale. Was there anything else that you've watched over the last few days, or weeks? Um, I've been re-watching Criminal Minds. Okay. So, talk to me about Criminal Minds. I, you know, I've heard of all the different CSIs, and Criminal Minds, and the SVUs, and the CUVs, and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, Criminal Minds is a little bit more cerebral than that. Um, There's a lot of uh, profiling and trying to figure out what the unknown subject is going to do next or what, you know, the unsub is and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's trying to put the pieces together to figure out what this person age might be you know what their gender might be and all that kind of stuff and uh these profilers are so good at it that they end up being on the mark more times than not okay that's pretty cool that's pretty cool indeed and so we've got a chance to kind of talk a little bit about some stuff that we've watched things like that i did uh start the witcher uh i did the first two episodes of the witcher about an hour each and I will say this right off the bat. I know there's a lot of controversy about the show because of nudity, kind of the same way that Game of Thrones got in a lot of trouble over uh, specifically female nudity in the show. Uh, but I will say this. Seeing Henry Cavill shirtless uh, makes me wish I'd started going to the gym yesterday. Like, <laughs> it's not even like a, I need to make a New Year's resolution to, to work out more. No, it's like straight up like shit. Henry Cavill just... I look at him and I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, if I had that, you know. But he just looks felt. And I know there's a whole, he, in an interview, talked about how the diet and everything he had to get in to get into, quote, witcher shape. You know, and just for those who may not know, Henry Cavill, of course, played Superman in, in Superman, how I can't think of which one it was. I know it's the one where he faces odd. And then he was in—he yeah. was Superman and Batman v Superman and in Justice League as well. And he looks like he was in better shape than when he was in his last Superman role for Witcher. And of course, it. Uh, somebody told me, you know, you need to watch the first sword fight for the first episode because it feels like a video game in live action. And I'll say this: it actually didn't remind me of a video game. It actually reminded me a lot of like Highlander. Uh, especially with the white hair, you know, kind of the white streaky hair, kind of reminded me a lot of seeing Duncan McLeod fight 
You know, because if you remember Duncan McLeod, of course, he had the longer, stringier hair, you know, at Highlander. Yeah. And, oh, he, it, it, it was it was a crazy sword fight, and they pulled it off really well. It's like, you know, even though he's fighting the people before the real sword fight starts, you know, it's just like, this dude knows what he's doing. And, of course, I love the theme that monsters are sometimes not just what we have to fight. Sometimes monsters are what we create based on the way we treat people. Just be real careful sometimes. You never know what kind of monsters you may end up creating in the cost of treating people certain ways. So, have you got a chance to watch Witcher? Witcher? I have not gotten a chance to watch Witcher yet. I was like, when I first saw the preview on Netflix, I'm like, I need to see this, but I was still watching Riverdale. And then I found out that the next season doesn't come out until 2021. And I'm like, oh, do I really want to watch this at this point in time and then have to wait all the way to 2021? Like, do I want to put myself through that torture? And I'm sure it has to do with the fact that Henry Cavill probably had, you know, because of course Henry Cavill's been acting in a lot of movies. Of course, more recently he did that Mission Impossible movie you know, yeah. after he did the Justice League stuff. And so we're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to you about 2019, the year things ended. We're going to start with Game of Thrones because as we all know, in the land of Game of Thrones, things had to come to an end. Some felt it controversial. Other people felt like it wasn't totally complete. We'll talk about it. So after these messages, we'll be right back. Mythos Podcast is a podcast that has you covered. Whether it's about geek news, whether it's about comic books, whether it's about movies, whether it's about video games or any other geeky type of subjects, Mythos Podcast has you indeed. So check out the Rascal Brothers' own podcast as you get ready to get your geek on. Drops usually on Mondays, on Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find fine podcasts. Join the Rasco Brothers and get your geek on. And we're back. It's myself and the Crafting Cosplayer. We're going to talk to you about 2019, the wrap-up, the year that some things in the geek world ended. And so we're going to start with Game of Thrones. Now, I'm not super familiar with the show. Um, I watched the first episode. It was just like, that's a little bit too much for me. <laughs> so I couldn't get through the first episode, to be honest. But I know you've seen a lot of the seasons of Game of Thrones yourself. Yes, I haven't seen all of them, unfortunately. Um, I'm very behind. <laughs> but I've seen the first, I think, four seasons of Game of Thrones. Okay. And, and it's really interesting, too, because, of course, I think, what, we ended on season eight? Was eight the last season? I believe so. Hey, it was the last season. Okay. So I know that a lot of people, I remember being at work the day when the last episode aired. And I remember I couldn't get two steps <laughs> away <laughs> from people from one place to the other because that's what everybody was talking about. Because everybody was just like, I can't believe they ended it like this and blah, 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 blah. And they made Draenerys crazy and blah, blah, blah. And all this went down. And then Arya Stark did this and all this other stuff happened. And I'm just going, I have no idea what y'all are talking about. And of course, then they turn around and be like, 
I thought you called yourself a geek. How can you not know about Game of Thrones? I'm like, Big Bang Theory, I can nail you to the walls on it, okay? Being a geek does not mean I have to know about every single geek thing out there. There are not enough hours in the day for me to watch everything. Right? You know. Yeah, that's very tasty when people like assume that, well, if you're a geek, you have to know this. Like, I will crush you at Xena. I will crush you at Marvel movies. You know, I will crush you at so many different things Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings, all of that. I will crush you at all of this. It doesn't mean that I know everything. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm into every little thing. Yeah, you can know all the stuff about Game of Thrones, the movies, and the shows. And here's the big question, have you read any of the books? Anyway, no, David, let me stop you right there, okay? Because you've read some of the books, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, I read the first two books. Okay. Now, I will say this. I know there was a lot of controversy about the way that things ended, but we also have to remind people uh, George R. R. Martin had not finished writing the whole series. As a matter yeah, they, of fact, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, I think when they took that year off to film the last season, wasn't part of that to help him get the time to write <laughs> at least another part of the series so that it could yes. continue with written? Yes, that was part of it. Uh, the other part was scheduling conflicts. Um, but yeah, a lot of it had to do with them trying to give him enough time to get to the end of the season. And he basically gave him the big middle finger and was like, it'll be done when it's done, you know? It's like, look, you don't know, like, there's so many great TV shows on Netflix I have to watch before I can finish this book series, okay? (laughs) (laughs) There's too many movies coming out, dang it. (laughs) But I just, I and I just, I feel like that a lot of people don't really think about that when it comes to the way they ended it because HBO, if you can imagine, okay, they had these series to work with, so they had basically they took they were able to take, you know, the 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 books and turn them into scripts and then turn them into scripts and then get them to the actors and actresses and then they do their work. But when you don't have two of the books in a series, and you're getting to the point where you're running out of books. <laughs> it's kind of like well what do we do now you know we talked about the witcher earlier and one of the things i did not know was is that you know we technically got the video game before we had all the books in the series yeah here in the states like i think it was written somewhere else and then we eventually slowly but surely got the books but we got them out of order and then we got the books matter of fact the series that they're giving us is a mix of like two of the books the Witcher series. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the se- the sale of those books go uh, well, you know? Oh, I'm sure it will, because with the next season not hitting until 2021, I'm sure that everybody's going to be going out to get books just to see what happens next. Right. And, and so, of course, I've not heard anything from George R. R. Martin talking about when the books will be finished for Game of Thrones, which that creates an interesting dilemma because it's like, okay, so if you're George R. R. Martin, do you just write the end as HBO wrote it? 
do you write it the way you intended to write it before you didn't write it? <laughs> I would really hope that he would stay the course and end it the way he wanted to end it and not necessarily the way that HBO ended it. Because HBO took a whole lot of liberties with the series to begin with. If you read the first two books, yes, there's a lot of things that are very similar, but there's a lot of things that they took liberties and added characters and all sorts of stuff. So, Well, I mean, you think about it too, like another case or example, you talk talk about adapting a book series into a live action series. You look at something like uh, Walking Dead, And you look at how, you know, they interviewed uh, Robert Kirkman. And one of the things he said was that he said that while the book series is going to have parallels to the actual TV series, the TV series is not going to be a direct copy. Yeah. Because, like, for example, you look at Shane. Shane lived a lot longer in the show than he ever did in the books. And so you just look at different character beats and things like that. You start to realize that when you're doing a book to TV or a book to movie adaptation, you know, you, you, you've got to expect they're going to make some changes to it just for the sake of because what you don't want to have happen is you don't want somebody to come in and say, well, good Lord, if, if it was going to be exactly like the book, then I should have just read the book. I didn't need to waste X amount of hours watching the series you know, if it was going to be an exact carbon copy of the of the, uh, of the books. So I understand why they make changes, you know. But at the same time, when you run out of book, it's like a rare, it's like what it's like being it's like having a train on a railroad track. You know, if you run out of track, <laughs> at some point, <laughs> it's going to be hard pressed to figure out where you're going. Like, so yeah, we're getting here. Hey, George, you think you can work on getting that written for us? I'll work on it when I get there. I get that. But we have a contract to do these, to do these uh, stories based on the books you've got written. If you don't write the books, we're kind of stuck. So now the next question, of course, I'll ask is uh, if George R. R. Martin had finished reading, writing the books, do you think that Games of Thrones would have ended where it did? Um, no, I, I only know the spoilers of what people have told me and the bits that I've seen you know, all the gifts and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think it would have. With the direction that his writing was going, I don't think that... Because in the books, you get a lot of the perspective of the internals of what these characters are thinking and how they're moving and their progress and everything. And I just don't see Daenerys going insane. Because in the book, she's actually 13 in the beginning of the book series. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, marrying a 30-year-old called Drogo. Well, so, hey, yeah. if that's how you get down, I guess, you know, that's how you get down. <laughs> so, I mean, she's extremely young in the beginning of the, the series, uh, in the book in the books and um, just like the way her mind processes things and how she, um, you know, goes from one thing to the other thing, to the other thing, all these bad things happening to her. 
um, and how she deals with them, even with her being so young. Um, I just don't, if she could get through all of those things that she went through in the books, in the TV show, I just don't see her getting to the point where she would get crazy. Because if she could handle those things so mentally strong. Yeah, she's, her, her mental fortitudes are so ironclad. I just don't see her losing it. Okay. All right. And that definitely makes for an interesting thing. I mean, of course, um, another thing you have to look at, too, for example, is you look at it because the person I always remember hearing about, no matter what, was always Arya, you yeah. know, played, of course, by Macy Williams, you know, and, and I don't care what anybody says. If Game of Thrones did nothing else, it made uh, Macy Williams a star in the eyes of yeah. a lot of people, you know, and I know she had done some Doctor Who stuff. You know, beforehand yes. as well. As a matter of fact, I think I don't think I've ever cried so much as whenever I think she took Claire out. Like I'm not sure what she did. Something about a disease or something like that that hurt her people had caused. And so Claire died. And yeah. so that moment where, you know, she's looking at the doctor and she goes, uh, I never meant for something like this to happen. And his response yeah. to her was, You made an enemy with the doctor. That's something you de- you never you never want to do. You know, mm-hmm. so it, his response is more about the results of her actions, not even yeah. the actions. But it was just like you know, you ended up having my companion die because of what you did, whether you realize or think you're the monster or not. It's irrelevant. You're the monster, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you need to go wherever you need to go to get as far away from me. And just remember, there is nowhere else to find you. Hmm. This is your only moment of mercy. That was an extremely tough um, era for the Doctor. I mean, you you think that Amy and Rory's, you know, uh, era is is hard and it's it's messy and it's crazy and it's hurtful. But then you get to that little scene with Clara and with Lady Me, and it's just like, oh my goodness, like, wow. That's just next level. That was but, extremely heart wrenching. And Macy Williams played it like a champ. I mean, she went in there and um, really delivered this very, you know, she 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 definitely carried herself as a wiser, older thing in a young mm-hmm. person's body. Yeah, and she she did that really well. So I will always have respect for her for that. And then of course. Uh, there, she. My nephew has a series he watches called watched called Gen Lock that was with Rooster Teeth, and she played the voice of one of the characters in it. So that was really one of her big full rays of the voice acting. And so she mm-hmm. did. Of course, she got to play more of her uh, heritage. You know, if I'm not, is she Irish, Scottish, in real life? I'm not entirely sure what her nationality is. But she she got to come out there with the accent and everything and just talk and be kind of crazy little little teenage girl in that one. So it was kind of cool. And so that's my thought. And do you have any other thoughts on Game of Thrones you'd like to share with us? Because in this case, you're definitely more the expert than I am in the land of Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know. I I think that um. From what I've read of the first two books and what I've seen of the show, I think 
the character other than Daenerys, because Daenerys is like the character that I just completely fell in love with right off the bat. Um, well, but other dragons. than Daenerys, <laughs> I said, well, dragons, duh. Yeah, I know, right? Like, this is me we're talking about. Um, so other than that, I think the character on the flip side that I hated the most in the books was probably Sansa. Okay. Which is Arya's older sister. Because Sansa Sansa in the book is even more bratty than she is in the TV show. Like, she is the epitome of bratty, spoiled, uh, very... um, unaware of anybody but herself very narcissistic um has no real understanding of how the world works like the second that she thinks that she's going to be marrying joffrey like joffrey can do no wrong like if everything's everybody else's fault it's not joffrey's so like that's that's one character that i could not stand in the books and oh like, I didn't like her very much in the first few seasons. I mean, I felt really bad for her um, when she went through um, a lot of crap. <laughs> a lot of crap in the first few seasons of the show. Um, mm-hmm. But she was just awful in the books. Yeah, and I'm going to say this. Now, she was the one that was played by Sophie Turner. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Now I'm gonna go ahead and go all a go on a slight tangent for a moment and talk about an honorable mention, because Sophie Turner is directly related to the honorable mention, and that is the X Men franchise ended in 2019. Yes, it did. Uh, now we had. Now I'm gonna say this off the bat. Um, I saw the trailer to Dark Phoenix, and I snickered. A lot. The reason why I snickered a lot when I saw the trailer was because my first thoughts were, wow, this seems like the third X-Men movie that we already saw where uh, where and, and I can't it, it, I don't even remember what the actual name of that one was but it was the one where they had uh, Fajana uh, they had the other lady that was playing Jean Grey. She became the Dark Phoenix. And, you know, Magneto was trying to manipulate her and all this other stuff. And then, you know, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman is there. And he ends up having to be the one to kill her as his skin is melting away while she's doing the whole Phoenix blast. And he's the one that basically stabs her as it goes through. And I thought to myself, when I saw the trailer today, I'm going, wow, this seems like they just basically took the same movie, dressed up everybody in the same outfits, and they basically just took this new cast of this new shows and they just uh, went and did that over again. <laughs> because even watching the trailer, I was just like, so... Oh, yeah, X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah. It felt like the Dark Phoenix was basically a revisioning of X-Men The Last Stand. Instead of it being like, okay, so can we take this new group and actually do the full-blown Dark Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. Can we take the fully do it? And they're like, no. <laughs> We're just gonna rehash this old movie and you know with all these new actors. So it's like it, it almost felt like Michael Fassbender, who played Magneto, when I finally did watch the movie, 
I'm sitting there going, Michael Fassbender just looks like he's literally just reading these lines to get off the script. And the same thing with Jennifer Lawrence, because of course Jennifer Lawrence had made it pretty clear that she didn't want to be in these movies anymore. And so yeah. like Earl, Jean Grey just kills it, just straight up just and you're dead. <laughs> and like, wow, that's one way to get her off of there. Put her right her out. <laughs> just just <laughs> Oh, Jennifer Lawrence is gone. We don't have to worry about paying her anymore. <laughs> she doesn't have to worry about her complaining about the movies and such. We're just going to let her go. Uh, but yeah, she did that. And so Dark Phoenix was the official tag end to the X-Men franchise as done by Fox. That said, supposedly in April of 2020, we're supposed to be getting the new Mutants movie, but they're reshooting the Living Daylights out of it because they're trying to get it more like the comics. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. But originally, like, Dark Phoenix was supposed to come out, and then the new mutants was supposed to come out, like, a month after. And so whenever Disney decided, you know, Disney bought Fox, they were just like, we're going to pump the brakes on that whole new mutants thing. We're not going to put that out. We're going we're gonna to get our hands in it. We're going to find a way to tie it to the Marvel Universe. We're going to take this, this horrid movie that y'all made. <laughs> we're going to try to make it into something that fits our Marvel Universe. <laughs> And y'all just get to deal with it. But Dark Phoenix, Yeah, but they didn't do that with Dark Phoenix. They were like, nope, y'all are done with all the primitive, the uh, prelim stuff. Y'all are done with the post-editing. We're going to let y'all sit that one out and die on it. <laughs> There's your sword, let, guys. Let, yeah, let that be the sword you fall on. <laughs> yep, that's the sword you're going to fall on, buddy. The mouse is... You can see Mickey Mouse just throwing it out like, oh, guys, here you go. You know, just throws it out there. <laughs> And he's all there like, okay, guys, I guess this is it. Or, yep, go ahead and throw yourselves over. And it's just done. And they just all got to roll off the hill. And then Mickey Mouse just standing there. He's like, oh, boy. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, now he gets to play with the, play with the mutants. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, so originally it was uh, Famake Johnson, who was uh dark? Who was the Dark Phoenix in the Last Stand movie? And then we had, of course, Sophie Turner play the role of Dark Phoenix in the Dark Phoenix movie. Which there was a moment also in X Men Apocalypse where she kind of goes Phoenix. Phoenix is out for the first time, and like her restraints start breaking, and she just lights up everybody and burns Apocalypse. Which that moment, I'm just sitting there going, so. Um, so, so, because I watched that movie, and my first thought watching the Apocalypse movie was, they literally took the villain out of the Power Rangers movie, the first Power Rangers movie, Ivan Ooze, they gave him an upgrade, and they said, you're going to be Apocalypse now. Because <laughs> he looks like Ivan Ooze, just slightly better. Right? I'm like, I've seen cosplayers at Comic-Cons put better Apocalypse outfits together than this team did. <laughs> Right? Yeah, like the first X-Men movie was great. The second X-Men movie was great. You know, you had, you know, the first one, you know, you had, you know, and I'm just like, but but it started sliding off the rails after that. You had X-Men, you had X2. As far as I'm concerned, I didn't need The Last Stand. I really didn't need X-Men Origins because, I mean, come on, we had the whole moment where they sold Deadpool's mouth. The only reason that works still to me is because when we got Deadpool, he made jokes about it. Mm -hmm. so, I love that. Like, he's all like, yeah, don't put me in green spandex or or, or, or anything or sew my mouth shut. 
And then he even had the action figure at one point when he's holding up the Wham seat, Wham record. He has the yeah. he has the the toy in his head. He's just like she's like, is that what you're gonna show me? No, 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 not this. It's just, Wham, <laughs> and just yeah. So no, he Ryan Reynolds got so many jokes out of that. Like Ryan Reynolds has enough material out of that movie alone to make fun of. And then of course Deadpool two, we have the whole scene where he goes back in time and 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 shoots that version of himself. Yep. Just going to clean up the timeline. Nothing to see here. One of these days, Ron Reynolds is going to ask you to do a movie with him. You're going to need to say yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hoping that happens. Oh, I love Deadpool. Deadpool's great. And so, of course, we had the Wolverine. The Wolverine, you know, the Wolverine movie, the, 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 not Logan, but the Wolverine from 2013 is the only one I've not watched all the way through. What? I need to watch that one because I hear it's really good. It it's, is. It's okay. I just, I need to watch it. I've not watched it. It's this more of his origin story. They actually go to a lot of the comic books with him being in Japan and everything, him having to face like Silver Samurai and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I need to watch that one. Yeah, that one's good. I liked that one. Yeah. So yeah, Dark Phoenix ended it, ended that, ended that franchise. And so I'm hoping that when Marvel releases the New Mutants, that they're able to tie it to the MCU. Like it'd be cool if they tied it to, you know, because they're talking about how with Multiverse of Madness, that it's gonna be very much open the doors to other stuff. It'd be really cool if they were able to tie it to that somehow. I guess we'll have to see. I guess so. I guess we'll have to see. So at that point, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this segment, and we're going to go ahead and go to the next one. Now we're going to talk about one of my favorite all-time things ever and something I own all 12 seasons of, The Big Bang Theory. So come on back with us and join the conversation after these messages. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is another segment. We've gone over Game of Thrones. We kind of touched down on X-Men. As, a, as, a, as an honorable mention, ending in 2019, we're going to get into the Big Bang Theory right now, which is one of my all-time favorite shows ever. Uh, and see, I can bury somebody in this. You know how we, you talked about, you know, you can bury people in Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. This, this is my wheelhouse right here. Like, this is one of my all-time favorite shows. So the story of two guys that start off going across the hall from a girl, and it all starts out in the hallway. One of the most beautiful endings of a series I've ever seen. Uh, I told a friend of mine when we started talking about Star Wars, and we'll get into Star Wars here in a bit. And I told him, I said, look, I've seen two things stick season endings really well, stick, stick endings really well for a long franchise. Big Bang Theory was one, and Endgame was the other. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, they better bring their game. They better stick the landing on us. That's all I got to say. Because when I finally saw the end of Big Bang Theory, the last episode of Big Bang Theory, uh, I was like, wow, wow. I didn't know I could cry as much as I did on watching the TV show. Right? Ended it so well. It's just like this whole thing. Yeah, it was great. Um, But you start off this story all the way back in season one, first little moment, you know, Leonard and Sheldon are doing their thing. They come home. They meet this girl across the hallway named Penny. And that's where it all starts. And Leonard makes a line in that first episode. Uh, after Sheldon asks him, he says, you're not finished with her yet, are you? He looks at her and says, our children will be smart and beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
And when you're first watching this, you're going, how many times is Leonard going to fall down on this trying to get with her? And for a long time, they don't get together. It's like season three, I think. Like, they have a moment in season two. But then they kind of fall back apart again. And then they have a yeah. moment in season three, and it just goes, it just ramps from there. And so... I kind of, I kind of feel like Leonard and Penny are like the Ross and Rachel of Big Bang. Definitely. Where they will they won't they? You know, that was definitely the question that they were asking. It's the will they won't they thing. And so that's always really cool. Uh by the time you get to their relationship really start to take off, then you end up later on with uh Howard Wallowitz. Howard grew up so much, man. Howard started off kind of being an idiot. Oh uh, yeah. The way he spoke to people, you think he has the confidence, all the smooth confidence. Matter of fact, Raj uh, always said, man, he's so confident. I wish I had his confidence. Uh, but he really wasn't confident so much as he was kind of a fool. Yeah. Uh, intellectual idiot when it came to relationships. Like he, he could talk it. He, when he was talking to the fellas, he was the smoothest thing on, on, on two feet. When he was talking to the ladies, however, he just, it was bad. Yeah. Eventually, Penny was able to set him up a Bernadette. And uh, by the end of their story, you've got, you know, two kids, you know, and and dealing with... I'm going to say this right now. One of the parts that really hit me the hardest, and I didn't realize this is back when the show was going. When I found out that the lady that did Howard's mother's voice passed away. Yeah. And she died... And so they immediately rewrote one of the episodes to where his mother in the show passed away. Mm-hmm. Because they were like they basically Chuck Lorre and was like, we're not gonna replace her voice. No. We're just gonna let her we're just gonna have to write her out. Because we respect her as an actress too much to replace her as somebody else. Because of course the girl that played Bernadette actually could do a spot on impersonation of how his mother's voice. Mm-hmm. She actually did it in one of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. But they were like, uh, they were like, no, we're just going to have, so they rewrote the episode to where his mother passed away in, real, in the show. They went through that whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I found out on the last season, Blue DVD. When she died in the show, all the cast got together on the set and started talking about memories with her. Because even though we never saw her, they did. Yeah. And so they talked about the memories with her and everything and stuff. And then they went down to like the at the graphics design team and they made a picture of her, the actress, and they put it on Leonard and Penny's refrigerator. Aww. And so they did that so that she would basically live on through that picture. So that every episode she was in every episode still to the end. That's so cool. And so they did that as a way to honor her. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Then you got Raj, and Raj is Rajesh Kutharpali, uh, the the doctor, so to speak, the 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 person that their parents wanted him to become a gynecologist, but he couldn't talk to women. Yeah, because he had a pathological condition that would not allow him to speak with women unless he was under the influence of alcohol, or he thought he was under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> Under the influence of alcohol at one point, because I remember they gave him near beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when he was on the trip, when he was on the uh, train with Summer Glau, actually. Yep. And then Summer Glau from Terminator, from, uh, I think she was on, was she on Hawaii, Pablo? Possibly, no. I think so. That was, that was a different person, I think. That was Grace Pack. It was on Hawaii, Pablo. But Summer Glau was on the Terminator Chronicle. She was also on Firefly. Mm-hmm. And so he's on there as herself on the train. And so there's a point where Rajesh and her are talking. And then uh, Howard gets the beer. And he's like, be a deer and give me another one of these beers. And he notices that it's not alcoholic. So he goes back mm-hmm. and tells Rajesh that it's not alcoholic. And he immediately freezes up. Yeah. But it was very somatic thing. It took him having a girl break his heart for him to snap out of it because like at one point he comes back, you know, and I think uh was it Leonard that was going off on a trip or something in season four? It might have been no, it might it might have been when Sheldon left. Because you know Sheldon left for a half minute. Yeah, you know, had him yeah. leave with one of the seasons. So then Rajesh comes back. No, no, I know what it was. The last episode was the one where they had the party and the girl didn't show up. Oh, yeah. And so then I think Sheldon was going somewhere or something, so they dropped him off, so then here comes... Oh, no. No, 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 no. That same episode... Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember this. I think that might have been where Howard had gone to space. Oh, you know what? You might be right. There was a point where, like, Rajesh comes back to Penny's, and he's just like, yeah, I decided to stop by here before I went through the thing, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And she's like, you know, well, you know, you're just you're you're just talking, you're just drunk, it's okay. And then he goes, I haven't had any drinks since the party last night. And Penny realizes he's been talking to her the whole time, sober. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I am, I am talking to you. And so they end the episode with him talking to the girls. He's just talking, he literally talks the episode out. Yeah. That final season. And like the girls are just like, I liked him better when he didn't talk. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> he was just going and going and going. And so eventually he had a woman, uh, got a girl. He actually dated a couple of different people. He had a girl who was dating near the end of the last season. But then uh, she went off to London, mm-hmm. I believe, to manage a hotel. And he was going to go be with her. And, you know, and then, um, Howard comes in and basically says, you know, you need a woman who's going to understand your quirkiness. And I don't think she's going to get this. That if you love her, you care for her, you want to see the best for her, then go. But if not, maybe you need to just, you know, stay here and find somebody who's going to love you the way you're supposed to be loved. And so he doesn't go. And so we end the show with Rajesh not really finding love, although he does get a really cool date with Sarah Michelle Geller. That's not. Yes, a date. he gets he gets to go on a date with Buffy. That's not a date at all because she's a, he's like uh, she she looks at him and she says, "You know this isn't a date, right?" He says, "Yeah, of course this isn't a date. Why are you holding my hand? Why are you holding my hand?" <laughs> and, and no one ever says Sarah Michelle Geller. It's always isn't that Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> so. Which I thought that was funny in and of itself. So anyway, that's how, you know, he is. I could imagine, like, he becomes a celebrity dater after that. I don't know. Whenever, that's one question that we'll never truly get an answer to is what happened to Raj at the end of all this. Uh, yeah, I, 
I think that it was kind of nice that they made it ambiguous, though, for Raj, because I feel like Raj grew a lot, like a lot throughout the series. And I think that that's just kind of going to be their way of saying that he's always going to be growing. He's always going to be learning. He's always going to be getting to the next level to become a, a better person. Right. And, 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 to, and, and to basically say that he's no matter what the situation is, he's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be okay. He's because he always tended to bounce back from stuff. Like even through heartbreaks and all that stuff, he always able to bounce back and kind of come back on his own two feet with things. So I thought that was interesting too. Uh, and then of course we have I don't care what anybody says, uh the two stars of the show as far as I'm concerned. Leonard is there and I love Leonard to death. Uh but the two stars of the show are for me are always gonna be Penny and Sheldon. Yes. Because um I mean, come on, man. Between Leonard, Penny, and Sheldon, they each got like $3 million per episode. It was ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. they were the highest paid out of the group, of course. But for me, I think you, with Sheldon, and, and for Sheldon to even say in the last episode, you know, I had this speech prepared for all this stuff I was going to say for what I won this. But I'm not going to read that speech. Yeah. I'm just going to thank people in my life that made this better, like my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. People that he didn't necessarily always agree with, people he didn't always necessarily like, but the people that loved him in spite of himself. Yeah. And his, okay, MVP of the show, Amy Farrah Fowler, played by Maya Bialik. Okay. Maya Bialik's performance, when she comes in and she says to Sheldon, people tolerate you. That's why it's very difficult for people to tolerate you and be around you because it's difficult. And then he says to her, do you tolerate me too? She says, sometimes, yes. And it's like she has this moment where she's like, I'm not going to cater to you anymore. I'm not going to cater to your feelings. You have to hit the, I love you enough. I got to tell you the truth and let the chips fall what they may. Yeah. And that's his really, to, you know, to quote his mama, that'd be his come to Jesus moment because he had to realize he wouldn't have got where he got without his wife, without his friends, without yeah. even the people like the, 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 the staff people at the university, uh, Kripke. As much as he hated Barry Kripke, he wouldn't have got where he got without Kripke being in his life, even though he never mentioned Kripke, which I'm fine with because he didn't need to. Uh, no. Let's actually point out these people loved me and tolerated me in spite of myself, and they helped me get where I'm at. And the fact that he had each one of them stand. Yeah, that was. Oh, and I think okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little sad on you for a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, I I first started watching Big Bang Theory with my grandmother. Okay. And um, she loved Big Bang Theory. She thought it was hilarious. Um, and she passed away 10 years ago yesterday. Okay. And so when I got to that final episode, it was extremely hard for me because it was like when I was watching anytime I, you know, caught an episode of the show is like, she was almost still there. Yeah. So when I got to that last episode and like everybody's standing up, you know, each character standing up is Sheldon. 
is talking about them I just lost it like I don't think I cried that much in years and I was just bawling my eyes out because I was like my Nona would have loved this like she would have just been so excited about this ending and yeah it it was like one of those things where it was like heart-wrenching that the series was over because it had been on for so long and it was such a great series and everything it was also heart-wrenching for me because it's like Minona started this with me but she didn't get to finish it with me yeah and of course there was a lot of uh grandmama love because of course he always he thanked his Meemaw as well Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of moments with Meemaw that were important, even though Meemaw was only on the show one time. Yeah. Uh, they made sure to remind you that 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 Sheldon loved his Meemaw a lot. And so that's really awesome that you have that memory of your grandmother with you watching it. And I'm going to flip this slightly because think about that scene. Did you watch Young Sheldon? I've watched a few episodes of Young Sheldon. I have not watched the whole thing. Okay, so I'm going to spoil a bit of this, okay? Because the last episode of season two came on the same night, I think it was season two, came on the same night that that episode dropped. And so it was young Sheldon, the big plot of the story was that young Sheldon was trying to stay up all night to listen to the Nobel Prize thing. He had invited all these different people over and nobody showed up. And, like, his mama came in there because he woke up early to go listen to it. It was, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, Texas time. And so he woke up early to listen to it. And his mom was like, sweetie, do you want me to stay here with you? No, mom, it's okay. It's all right. I I got this. I'm okay. And so you start hearing Sheldon narrate. And he says, you know, in this moment, I thought I'd be alone regardless. One day when I won my Nobel Prize, I didn't see anyone else being next to me. I didn't see anybody else being with me. Just like I was in this situation when I was eight or nine years old. That also would be further from the truth. And the next thing you know, he's sitting there watching it, and you start flashing forward. You see a young Penny in her bedroom at the same moment up. Or no, I think she's sleeping. I don't think you ever see her awake up. Like you see a young, you see a young Leonard, and I think Leonard's listening to the broadcast where he is, and then his mom is yelling something about you know turn the radio down, you're disturbing my sleep, REM cycles or something like that, and then you see <laughs> a young Kuthar Polly in his bed in India, and you see a young Howard Wallowitz, and then you see a young Bernadette, and you see all of them at the at, at in that same moment of time. Of course, they're not all the same age. Yeah. But you keep them paralleling that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like they tied, they tied the two shows together. Seeing the kid versions of themselves being there, and then the adult versions of them being there for him in the end. And I thought that was just a beautiful way of uh, cross uh, cross show platforming, I guess you could say. So that was really beautiful as well. So we're going to get into the next segment. We're going to go ahead and get out of this one at this point, unless you have anything else you'd like to say about Big Bang Theory. Uh, just that it's freaking awesome. I thank you, by the way, for sharing that story about your grandmama. That was, that, was pretty, that was pretty powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. I know you didn't have yeah. to share that with us, but um, I'm glad you did. So after these messages, we're going to be right back. 
And we're back. We're coming back in hot and heavy. We just got finished talking about the Big Bang Theory. The Crafting Cosplayer is my guest for this week's show. Uh, 2019, the year a lot of stuff ended. And so we're going to get into the marvel of it all. We're talking about the Marvel movies. So, of course, we had... Uh, in 2018, we had the uh, Infinity War movie that was always played as there's going to be a part two. Basically, they literally went and Empire Strikes Back us. They were like, you know what? You know, somebody I'm sure was at, at the Marvel Studios and they were talking to Kevin Feige one day and they were just like, you know what movie really, really hit me hard emotionally was Empire Strikes Back. I never could see a movie that really hit me that hard emotionally. And then Kevin Feige is just like, uh-huh, hold my fruit punch. I got this. And so they did Infinity War and then hit back with Endgame, which ended the, I believe it's interesting that it, it, it ended the total movies. Uh, and I believe 22 total films over the course of 10 years time. And it's interesting because it took 22 years to take down Titanic as the highest grossing movie of all time, which Endgame eventually did do that. Mm-hmm. So there's a funny thing about that too. And it's funny because people were talking about, oh my gosh, they had to do a re-release to get that to happen. And it's like, yeah, but no one remembers that they did re- multiple re-releases of Avatar. Yeah. To make that happen. So it's kind of like, you know, Kevin Feige is just like, well, two can play at that game. You know, people are still loving this movie because they re-released it right before it came out on Blu-ray and DVD. Like they did on like a weekend, basically. It was just like a one weekend thing in a lot of theaters. So yeah, it came back in there as people went in and did their thing. Uh, so with Endgame, of course, we got the, what considers the snap, you know, the snap event the uh, five-year jump, if you will, when, you know, five years between Infinity War to uh, to Endgame, and you had this whole thing where basically you had the main Avengers plus Captain Marvel. You had the main Avengers. They started out the first Avengers film. You had, of course, Hawkeye. You had Black Widow. You had Iron Man. You had Captain America, Hulk, and I'm missing somebody. Thor. So you had the six. And then you had Captain Marvel. And then you had some others. For example, you had Okoye from Black Panther. You had Rocket. And Nebula from the Guardians. Uh, they didn't know it yet, but of course they ended up getting uh, Ant-Man back. And... Yeah. You had these other heroes and these other pieces of these franchises, but you didn't have the whole world back together yet. And so, you know, you go through all these different things uh, where people are coming back in and doing all this interesting stuff. Now, for the Crafted Cosplayer, what were your... I, <clears throat> excuse me. And I know I could go on about this uh, for ad nauseum, I'm sure, but I want to hear what your favorite parts of Endgame were. Oh goodness! Um, oh goodness! Endgame was a real tearjerker for one. Um, I think the fact that we got to see uh, Tony Stark's kid 
Mm-hmm. That was like a major thing for me. I really liked that, you know, they, they brought in a daughter and you know, obviously the whole sacrifice, him sacrificing himself for his daughter. And, oh, that was like, <laughs> that made me cry a lot. Um, oh, goodness. The whole movie made me cry. Like, I, I don't know if there's like a best part of it because I just bawled my eyes out through the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting that you bring up the fact that Tony had the daughter because if you remember in Infinity War, he's running around with Pepper and he says, you know, I had this dream and it was so vivid and, and we had a kid. You know, she's like, well, I'm not pregnant, you know. And so this is right before, you know, they're getting ready to quote, they announced in the movie that they were getting they were getting married and then, you know, you had uh, Dr. Strange show up and do his thing and then you had Bruce show up. But you get mm-hmm. the sense that they were kind of painting that picture there. Yeah. And we didn't know how he was going to paint it. We didn't know how that was going to work. We didn't realize we were going to get a five-year jump between. And, it, you know, the world looked very different five years later. You know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you know, you you look at you know, you look at that movie and you think about the despair that the heroes are in. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at that moment where, you know, well, Captain Marvel, and you can kind of tell even in them trying to go take Thanos out, they didn't have a plan. No. <laughs> like, just like hit him, hit him hard and get the gauntlet back and let's try to bring everybody back. And then when they realized that Thanos had snapped the stones away, <laughs> you know, they literally went up there to try to deal with something to get this back, and it just was like a brick wall in front of me. Nope, sorry. It's not going to be an easy fix. Yeah. You know, and then Thor kind of, in retrospect, sitting there and lopping his head off, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, why would he do that now? Because he didn't do it when he should have done it. Yeah. And so he beat himself up over that for most of that movie. I mean, he's just not in a good place mentally. Yeah. yeah, and I did. I did like that. Even though he was in emotionally a bad place, he was still worthy of the hammer. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you know, you look at the fact too that you know, you, I'd never seen a time heist in a movie. I've seen bank heist. I've seen you know a uh, a a. Uh, armored truck heist in the middle of a hurricane for crying out loud. But I've never seen a time heist. I've never jumping back to specific points in time in the Marvel Universe. You know, and even to the point where it's Black Widow who comes up with the fact that, you know, if we hit New York at this point, there's three stones at the same time there. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, okay. And, it's like, <laughs> and so even to the point where, for example, you know, you mentioned Tony's daughter. One of my favorite scenes in that whole movie is where Tony is figuring out the time jumping stuff. Like, you know, he tells him basically, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to deal with this. And we find out the reason why later is because he's like, I don't want to lose anything I have. Mm-hmm. We just need to bring back everybody was snapped at that time. That's it. Like, I don't want to go back in time and end up having to try to do this all over again because it may not happen the same way. Yeah. So I don't want to lose this. I just want to get back the people we lost. 
And so, you know, but at a point he's solving the stuff and then he says what he says and his daughter's just on the step and she repeats after him. <laughs> and he's just like, I didn't know you were down here. <laughs> His mother's going to kill me. You know, I was like, why don't we go get some ice cream? She's like, okay. You know, so they go get ice cream or whatever. And uh, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And, and I have a sister who didn't like Tony Stark. Like, she watched Iron Man. She watched Iron Man 1. She did. She watched The Avengers. And she was just like, you know what? Uh, I hate I hate the character Tony Stark. He's a misogynistic jerk. And he shouldn't be anybody's hero. I said, give him time. Exactly. Give him time. It's like, what do you mean? I said, the character in the comic book is pretty much a douchebag too, but give him time. There's going to be a point in his story where you're going to see him get redeemed. Like you're going to, he's going to, I said, even in Iron Man, you start seeing that arc, but it's not a, a complete arc. Like they couldn't complete his arc in that one movie. You can't start and stop, stop an arc in one film. No. Especially if you're going to be going over 22 movies and slowly building these stories along the way and having these converging storylines of these converging characters to come together, for example, for Avengers. And then you do it again, you know, and you come back for Avengers 2, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. And then the third time you really have the convergence of these stories is Captain America 3, Civil War. And then you have Avengers Infinity War, and then you have Avengers Endgame. So everything in between was feeding into those films, in a sense. And so his arc, his, his story starts it all. Yeah. And so he, and I love the fact that they were able to have him there's that through line to where by the end of it all, he's the one that finishes it all. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see him as a different person. You see him as a father. You see him as a loving husband. You see him as somebody who has learned from his errors. Even the errors of Ultron. Even the errors with you know, fighting his best friend, fighting somebody who he, who, you know, he kept talking about during Age Ultron, what happens when the day comes where, because even what happens when the day comes when something bigger than us comes at us, what are we going to fight it with? You know, yeah. there's a, that point during Endgame where he says, you told me we were going to do this together. We didn't. We failed. And now you're trying to do it again? No, I'm not with you. You know, so... Yeah. It's like he was wounded by that. It was just like, you know, they fought against each other. And even though Steve tried to hand out the olive branch by the end of the Civil War, he said, if you need me, call me. I'll be there. You know, but it was the fact that he wasn't there when he felt, you know, they weren't there when he needed them the most at that moment. Yeah. And so even with him almost dying in space, and getting sick and all this other stuff, you know, he just, he didn't feel like Steve and the rest of the crew was where they needed to be. And he had to grow because he understood part of that divide was his own fault. Yeah. You know, so it's really cool to see him kind of, not really just grow up, but also just become something different, truly become the hero. There's a line in Avengers where Steve looks at him and says, you're never the one to make the big play. You're never going to be the person to sacrifice for the, for the greater good. And then, you know, I didn't. And Tony responds. He says, "Well, all that's ever valuable about you was in a test tube." 
And it's like they both find out how wrong they were about each other. Yeah. Because for Cap, he was worthy to hold the hammer of Thor. Mm-hmm. For Tony, he could make the sacrificial play, but he needed to understand what he had to have something he felt he needed to truly sacrifice for beyond yeah. himself. And so I think it's really interesting to see how even when you go back and look at and I love the end game because it took me places. It really took did, me yeah. back to the original Avengers movie. It took me back to, you know, Cap- the first Captain America movie, even. You know, you mm-hmm. see Peggy Carter in the office at one point. He mentions, she mentions Brian Braddock. And I mean, we're even getting hints and rumors that it's possible that when we get Shang-Chi, that we're going to have Betsy Braddock, who becomes Psylocke, you know, in that movie. And she, because for a while in the comics, she was the Mandarin. Yeah. And she was basically the Mandarin in that Jim Lee variant versions of the comics. And so even that idea of the Mandarin having a real face but not allowing people to see it, because he always had duplicates out there representing him that were named his name but weren't him. So that way, if you know they got caught, the Mandarin still survived. Yeah. You know, and so it's interesting to see that. And so even going toward the future a little bit there. But it is really cool. I think when you mentioned the daughter you know, and the effect that the daughter had on him. I mean, even when he goes out searching for her and she has the mask on and he's just like, mommy never wears anything I make her. <laughs> you yeah. know? And which there goes a hint too, because you don't think about it because it's like eventually when they show up on the planet and she's mama's rocking the rescue outfit, mm-hmm. you know, and she, there with Tony back to back, and they're just going at ham on every alien within a thousand mile radius. You know, he was like, "Oh my gosh, she finally put on something that he made her." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the moment where Captain America has, you know, it, it, it's it's when Thanos's whole army is standing there and they're ready to just rain down terror and then all of a sudden Cap is sitting there and he's like cinching his shield and he's going to go to battle like he hasn't stopped fighting Yeah, he's whatever is there even if he knows he's going to die to do it and he senses that shield it's broken and he's just battered and bruised and he goes up and gets ready and all of a sudden he hears Hey Cap, what what is it? What what, what? it's on your left? He turns around. He starts seeing these portals open up. And he starts seeing everybody show up, slowly but surely. The I call it the Doctor Strange taxi service. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange just shows up and does the taxi thing. And everybody showing up, and you see Falcon come through, and that, of course, is a reference to Captain America with a soldier because he kept laughing. Falcon, he kept going on your left. He's like, "What? Come on, man!" <laughs> this Falcon just <laughs> running around because he can't run anywhere near as fast as Captain America can, of course. Yeah. So it's just that's that's the in reference to that movie, and so again, it takes you places in, in that film, like literally goes and spans through all of the movies in different ways and brings you right back to those moments. Yeah, and I did like that Cap got his happy happy ending, like, you know, when he brings the stone 
back and he stays there and you know he gets yeah. to have his life the way you know it should have been i really did like that yeah the him and peggy carter dance at the end especially and then when you know he comes back to bring falcon the shield and uh he he falcon you know anthony mackie is uh, sam wilson as falcon sees the ring on his finger and he says you're gonna tell me about that cap because no nah, i don't think i will and he's just like what you know it's just it's it it's not just the writing it's not just the cinematography it's these people that have been willing to give up their lives to really play these roles the way they needed to be played yeah Uh, I mean it's everybody from Sebastian Shaw and Anthony Mackie the people that you felt like were small characters I mean, even the kid from Iron Man 3 shows up in the funeral scene. Yeah. You know, you're just seeing these people that, quote, some would consider insignificant. Like, I mean, Ant-Man, the Ant-Man movies were the least money-making movies of the whole franchise up to that point, but yet Ant-Man was the biggest player in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, without Ant-Man, you don't have a time heist because you don't have a way for them to jump in time. Yeah. You know, and, but they brought it all together. And I mean, Endgame just really ended it well. What's your favorite Marvel movie? Oh, that's really hard. Um, ah, I really liked the first Thor. Okay. The first Thor was a really good one. Um, uh, the Thor, that Thor is a good one. I don't even know if I can say that's my favorite, though, because I love all of them so much. Right, um, right. Mm-hmm. I did. I know a lot of people didn't like Captain Marvel, but I did. I liked the story. I'm not of Brie Larson, but I did think that the story was very well done. You know, I finally watched Captain Marvel on Disney Plus, and I gotta say, had Brie Larson not gone out and basically bashed men as a collective whole. Yeah. Uh, I think I would have loved the movie a lot better, and I think I would have been a lot more behind it. I saw the movie, and I just kind of separated myself from the comments, and I had a really good time watching mm-hmm. it. Now, the only thing that kind of upset me was was that uh, Monica Rambeau, who in the comics was the Earth's version of Miss Marvel. Basically, uh, when Captain Marvel passed on his powers to her, she was going out in space and fighting. Well, Monica Rambeau was a like a teenager, early early twenties type girl, and he was like, she was like, "Hey, I want you to have some of my power because somebody like me is going to need to be here to defend Earth while I'm out defending all these big space places." And so you had yeah. another Miss Marvel while she was Miss Marvel in space. Basically, you had a Miss Marvel that was on Earth. Well, I know somebody was saying that during either. It's during one of the Disney Plus shows, they're going to introduce the older version of uh, Monica Rambeau, and that's where you're going to get Miss Marvel, the Earth version. But I'm kind of sitting there going, like, I really want to see how they're going to do this story because I don't remember if it's WandaVision or if it's in, um, like, She-Hulk or something like that. You know, one of the different series. Or Falcon and Winter Soldier, even. But they're going to introduce her in one of the Disney Plus shows. And so that's going to be mm-hmm. introducing the basically the black Miss Marvel to the world. 
And so the thing about the yeah. series is going to be interesting is, of course, is that, you know, this stuff's all tying into the movies. You know, because we're mm-hmm. going to get WandaVision. They actually bumped WandaVision up. Originally, WandaVision wasn't going to be out until 2021, but they're bumping it up to fall 2020. So yeah. We're going to get that series where, uh, from what I understand about it, it's basically going to be start off as a, 60s, as a 50s and 60s sitcom. And you're slowly going to start to see her mental breakdown during this show. And then that's going to carry over into, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because she's going to be kind of the second. She's going to she's going to be playing backup to Strange, which, by the way, here's a yeah. fun fact for you. You mentioned Captain Marvel. Kevin Feige was in an interview, I think it was a week or two ago, and they asked her, asked him who the strongest Avenger was if you look at everything from Endgame or from Spider-Man Far From Home. And he says, well, you think about this. Thanos has been up against almost everybody in the Marvel Universe. The only person to make Thanos look in fear was Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. Because he literally called down a battalion of fighters to shoot at everybody, including his own soldiers. Yeah, and had he not done that, it was very possible Scarlet Witch would have killed him. And so I have to say, based on that alone, Scarlet Witch is going to be the person that's the most powerful person walking the earth right now. Of course, that's before we get into Eternals and all this other stuff later on. You know, so I think that's an interesting place, you know, to kind of go with that. I'm going to say my favorite movie is The Hulk. And I want to make sure I make it clear. I'm talking about the Hulk that's in the actual MCU lineage. So it's the one with Ed Norton as Ruth Banner. Because I felt like that movie was very much a Hulk movie. I felt like it was very comic mm-hmm. accurate. I mean, there were points, for example, he's fighting Abomination. And uh, yeah. you know, he does the big thunderclap and all this. He does all of the trademark moves. I mean, at one point, he literally steals a moment from one of the Hulk video games where he takes a cab and breaks it apart and puts his fist inside the metal part of the calves is like he's put basically using the inside of the calf as a calf instead of boxing gloves. And he's just went yeah. on uh, abomination. That's like that's straight from the video game. But mm-hmm. uh, he does that really well. It's really cool. Uh, I think that's my favorite movie out of the group, just because. Whereas it kind of sets up more stuff toward the Avengers and things. Uh, by the time they switch it up and you end up having Mark Ruffalo play the role, it doesn't feel disjointed, even though you're sitting there going, what happened to Ed Norton? Because that's a whole other long, complicated story between Marvel and Ed Norton and the whole executive producer, him trying to tell Marvel what to do with their character thing. Yeah. You know, but I think that's my favorite uh, Marvel movie out of the group. Although, again, like yourself, I, I enjoy them all. So it's kind of hard to pick yeah. a favorite. Yeah, it's really hard, really, really hard to pick a favorite. So, so Marvel movies we've gone over. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about is we're going to go into Star Wars stuff. So stick with us. Appreciate you rocking with us this far. After these messages, we'll be right back. Star Wars time, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. We're about to get into the last segment of the show, and we're going to be talking about Star Wars love, 
uh, as those of you may or may not know, uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker was the last in the Skywalker era of Star Wars. We have completed a story that started in, I believe, 1976 or 1977. It'll span off multiple years. And uh, I do believe you're going to go see the movie Rise of Skywalker tomorrow, correct? Yes. Okay, so we'll have to sit down and have that conversation at some point once this is done and see how you feel about it overall. Um, I can say, honestly, again, probably my favorite movie out of the whole franchise uh, if we're talking about episodes 1 through 9 I'm going to have to say Empire Strikes Back is my favorite just because by the yeah. time you get done realizing that when Vader says I am your father yeah. it's going oh my gosh like you just don't see it like they don't really hint at it there's nothing in the story that's going to tell you you know, like if you had written that same movie today, that would have dropped all sorts of little nuggets in the midst of it. Yeah. Whereas here, it was just like, da 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 da, here we go. Here's the Empire. Here's the Rebellion. Here's this. Here's the I'm your dad. What? <laughs> Fader. <laughs> Fader. He's like, Fader killed my father. He says, that's not entirely true. I am no father. That's if, you know, Darth Vader was voiced by Sean Connery instead of James Earl Jones, although I don't know why I did that. Not a clue. You know, that would be a weird choice. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it now. It's like all of a sudden, it's just like, I wanted him alive. You know, bring me to protest. Bring her to me now. They named Dog Indiana. You know, it's just like, what? But anyway, so yes, Darth Vader, he is awesomely big, imposing, bad guy look and everything. And he says that to his son, and his son's just like, no! You know, he just he ends up falling off into the thing. And so that really messes with him, too. And I mean, even to the point where when he comes back, you know, I know they're still good in my father, you know, that type of thing. And he's just, you know, mm-hmm. very much just defiant to the end. You know, a yeah. feeling that there's good in his father, which if you think about the Star Wars story as a whole, it really is about redemption. It's about mm-hmm. third chances. It's about the idea that, yes, you've done these horrible things. You've blown up planets and you've you've uh, manipulated people and all that stuff behind the scenes. And the emperor is just sitting there like, do it, do it, strike him down. You know, that type of thing and everything. You know? <laughs> but um, but. You know, Luke still saw good in his father in spite of all that. And it's just maybe what it's trying to teach us is, is that some people who do horrible things, there's something good in them somewhere if you just got to seek out and find it. You know? Just dig real deep. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Because, yeah, you know, of course, the Emperor just, yeah. I don't want to get too much into Emperor talk, because if I do, then we're going to be talking into stuff that I don't need to tell you about before you go see the movie. <laughs> so and I mean you've seen the trailer so you know he's involved somehow because yeah. you know you got to laugh at the end you know all this yeah. brought together you know that type of thing like the emperor is mm-hmm. like the worst chain smoking sounding voice ever like he smokes the whole pack of cigarettes right? at the time 
you know, it's just like, you know, I right. see the emperor as like a crossing guard. You know, he's just sitting there, come, come, walk across the street now while the light's red. Come on, walk across the street. Do it. Do it. Come on. It's just like, why is he barking at me? It's like, I don't want to go. His mom's just like, come on, kid. It's okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to walk across now. Don't make me force lightning you. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh. He just stands out in the middle of the street and yells, unlimited power! You know, that type of thing. <laughs> While kids are just standing there looking at him going, I don't want to go, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, Star Wars for me is always going to be that very space-driven story. The idea of good versus bad. The idea of redemption. The idea of hope in the midst of hopeless mm-hmm. situations. Uh, that said, I never thought I needed a space Western as much as I did when I saw The Mandalorian. Yes. So before we, we're going to talk about The Mandalorian a little bit. So first things first, this is the way. I, I appreciate the fact that you find out in the series that The Mandalorians are not a race of people, but they are a people of a creed. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a planet called Mandalore where Mandalorians are born and they can become Mandalorians, the actual creed, but just because you're born Mandalorians doesn't make you a Mandalorian, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of this idea that there's a creed, there's a way of life that these people have in this series, you get to see them develop that more. And I think I'm going to point back to the Star Wars review that I did. Boba Fett's a punk, man. Like, he's very overhyped, especially when you consider the fact that in episode, uh, really episode one and two, actually two and three, really, because we didn't see Django until two, when you started doing the whole Clone Wars thing. But yeah, you started seeing that stuff going on. You start seeing how he did a whole lot more than even you know Boba Fett did, and then the Mandalorian just took all of that and said, "You know what? I can outdo this." And like in a couple of episodes, mm-hmm. he's just whooping everything with moves, man. And you know, of course, Baby Yoda is Baby Yoda. You can't get out of talking about Mandalorian when I talk about Baby Yoda and the cuteness he's it is. So Baby Yoda. He is. He is so cute. And, so cute. You know, the whole, hey, do I take this little silver ball and play with it off the top of this thing? You know, do we? I think one of my favorite scenes is when he's trying to push buttons and the Mandalorian looks at him and yeah. says, stop that. Don't push another button. And the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian is sitting there looking at Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda looks at him and literally pushes another button. Like, it's just like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm not listening to you. I'm a baby. Okay. I'm not listening to what you have to say right now. It's like the classic toddler move. Like, you don't, you tell them, don't touch it. Don't do that. And that's exactly what they're going to do. Yep. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. I've already grabbed it and put it in my mouth. What are you talking about? Exactly. You know, or later on when he's like, okay, we're going to go to this planet now. I want you to stay here. Don't move. Don't touch anything. I'm just going to go over here, check this out. I'm going to come back for you. Don't move. And the baby just looks up at him. Next thing you know, they open the door and the baby's like right there. 
Yep. And of course, the baby is sitting there now. This is my big question. Does he move himself out of force in that moment? Because whenever he's walking, of course, he's got little baby feet. So he's not running. Yeah. You know, he's not doing anything super fast. He just kind of steps, straddle steps. And, you know, but then it's just like, whoo, <laughs> he's right there by the door. <laughs> it's like he force ran. Maybe you're a force ran. He didn't ran. know. You know what happened. And he didn't even know how he did it. He just did it. But then there's also <laughs> the fact that somebody said, well, somebody made a comment they're like well he can't be a Jedi because he's doing force choke I'm like I don't think the baby Yoda is anything yet he's not identified with yeah. he's we know he's force sensitive that's the thing we know he's not making mm-hmm. allegiance he's just looking at the Mandalorian who he considers like a f- father figure or whatever and, you know he's the one that's been taking care of him so then this girl is arm wrestling him and he thinks he's hurting him so then he just starts force choking her. <laughs> like that's not that's not good. And I'm like, no. why am I for feeling that way? Because I would totally feel violated if some little baby was able to choke me from halfway across the room. Well, like to to put a comparison, that's kind of like a toddler, like when you know a parent is crying or something and then a toddler goes and like kicks somebody in the shin or like bites them like i feel like that's the same thing because it's just they, that they, you know he can bite her them. yeah it's like mommy is crying you must have did it uh-huh <laughs> it's like exactly mom's crying because she's happy but you don't understand it do you <laughs> do you kid he's just looking at it like oh so then he goes up and gives her a hug you know that type of thing mm-hmm but, like, I love yeah. the characters of it. Uh, I love, like, Carl Weathers uh, playing the role of the guy who's kind of lead of the guild. I love Gina Carrero, who is the one that's the shock trooper. Uh, she was an MMA fighter for years. Before Ronda, before Ronda Rousey got big, she was kind of the first female that was really out there doing the MMA style of fighting. And the main reason why she didn't yeah. get as big as Ronda Rousey was because she never did, like, UFC. Mm-hmm. outside. She was getting kind of more of the independent circuit of the UFC and so she was doing a lot of fighting and then she started getting these movie roles where she was doing more action and stuff. So her biggest movie as far as I know was he was she was in the first Deadpool movie. Uh, she was the one I can't think of the name of the character but she was the one that was fighting Colossus. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. What was the name of the character? And, you know, there's, I mean, one of my favorite scenes ever was that he looks over at her. He's like, oh, your your top is undone. You know, she's like, oh, thank you. That's such a gentlemanly thing to do. I greatly appreciate that. And then she just wails on the guy. I just like, yep. Evil still evil, even if you're nice to it. <laughs> yep. And she just let it be known. Like, I've not turned the turned leaf because of this. I'm just, I'm just, you know, Try to distract you long enough, you know, to hit you harder. Yep. She was she distraction tactic. Distracted tactic. Yep. And so she was really cool in there. Uh, I love the stuff they did with Baby Yoda. I love the whole idea that they gave him the emblem of the mud, uh, the mud creature. And mm-hmm. then he was just like, "Well, I didn't kill it officially on my own." And it's like, "Wait, what?" And he was like, I didn't kill it on my own. You know, so you can't give me that right now. Cause I didn't, it wasn't a clean kill. And, yeah. And later on, when they change 
his mission to become get the get the get the get the child uh, to safety. You know, get the child either to its own people or get the child to um, people of its own race. You know, so I think it'll be interesting to see how they do that. And I love the fact that it was a puppet. Yeah. That the child was not a CG thing. It was a puppet that was being done. I thought that was really Yeah, I really, really like that. So they did a lot of practical effects in that regard. So I think that was really cool. And of course, there was Nick Nolte as the Ugnaught, uh, who mm-hmm. was running around. He was, uh, I think his name was Cool or Krilly, uh, who was there. He was the one to end up reprogramming IG 11 after yep. IG 11 was damaged. And so that the scene where IG 11 kind of comes in. And, you know, because of course, of course, the Mandalorian Mando, as uh, Carl Weathers' character would call him, uh, basically said, well, it was programmed to kill. Its primary function is to kill stuff. So I don't trust it. And so then, whenever he got reprogrammed as a caretaker droid, you know, he goes in and there's little baby Yoda there, and the two stormtroopers are there. He just, just goes off. It just like breaks an arm, throws one down, takes the other one's head and like rams its head into its speeder and then grabs baby Yoda. And it's like, that was drastically, that was drastically destructive. I'm so sorry you had to see that. Yeah. And I'm just like, and baby Yoda's like, ah. yep. And baby Yoda's like, he's riding in the town, just literally gunning down everything with feet. <laughs> what <is the laughs> baby? And then, like at one point, he's like, "Oh, they're shooting back. I better do something." So he like does the inversion of his body to where like he turns his chest around, but then he flips the arms and the head back the other way so he can still see and shoot things. Mm-hmm. So he's just doing everything he can to protect that baby. And then even in the end, where he comes in and basically says, "Look, I my primary function is I cannot be captured. Yeah. I will walk ahead and I will self destruct." you all get free and save the baby, you know? And it's just, it's just really interesting because the whole time Mando thinks that his primary function is to kill and it's not, it never was. His primary function was yeah. he can't be captured. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. And of course you had a lot of different guests. I mean, Bill Bird, a comedian was in it. Uh, Ming-Na Wen was in it. She was the assassin that ended up uh, having the Mandalorian capture her at one point during one episode. It's the one where the kid is go- kid hires him to go to hunt her down, and then she basically yeah. And then yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, she convinces him that she's not the real prize, and he kills her. Yeah, and then he goes after Mando, and Mando just takes Mando. Mando just takes him down. You know, it's just like you're outclassed, bro. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and that, like, that was the stupidest thing she could have done was to say, you know, oh, I'm not the real threat. Like, she thinks that she's being smart by saying this. And really, it was like the stupidest, like, as soon as she started saying it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are killing every bit of leverage you have. Because literally, the only reason that you're alive is because you're valuable. And like, the more she was talking, I'm like, she's gonna get shot. She's gonna get shot. She's and then she got shot. And I'm like, yep, I was right. Yep. <laughs> Because she, she, her whole thing was if she made herself less important, I guess in her mind, she was thinking, well, then he'll just leave me here 
and go after Mandalorian. Well, then why would he leave you there? <laughs> exactly. You know, but she's trying to figure out. I love her in there. Of course, she was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She also played Chun-Li in the original Street Fighter movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme in it. Yeah. So, you know, she's one of those things like fine wine. She only gets, she only, she, she aged, she's aged very well. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. But, uh, so the series overall, I think it's really cool. I think it really sets itself up. Uh, by the end of the season, you have, of course, Moff Gideon, who uh, who gets crashed down, and so the Jawas show up, and you think it's all over, and then he shows up with a black lightsaber and proceeds to cut his way out of the out of the out of the uh, Imperial ship that he's in, and so he stands up there looking like looking like a cross between Vader and uh, Mandalorian with this black sword, black saber. He's like, "Yeah, man, I'm not dead. I'm coming for y'all." Unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not dead yet, man. That crash ain't gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be cool with it. So, of course, you know they'll have to explain where the black saber came from. Which I, my nephew was telling me that it has actually is reference to uh, the Clone Wars as well as Rebels, because apparently in Rebels there's a group of Mandalorians, and one of the Mandalorians becomes a Jedi. He's force sensitive Mandalorian, so he gets his black crystal out of somewhere and he ends up forming a lightsaber, and that's how they get the first black lightsaber. Ah. So there's storylines in Rebels and in the Mandalorian in the um in Rebels and Clone Wars that explain the black lightsaber. So if you want to ever do some research on that, you can go back and look at those series just to see how that works. So that's pretty cool. I think so. And we're going to wrap this segment up. Uh, We're going to finish this out. We're going to go into a little bit about what we hope to see in 2020. So continue to stick with us. And after these messages, we'll be right back. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Mythos Podcast is a podcast that has you covered. Whether it's about geek news, whether it's about comic books, whether it's about movies, whether it's about video games or any other geeky type of subjects, Mythos Podcast has you indeed. So check out the Rascal Brothers' own podcast as you get ready to get your geek on. Drops usually on Mondays, on Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find fine podcasts. Join the Rascal Brothers and get your geek on. Okay, something she must be caught up with something with family or something like that. So I figured I was just like, well, let me message her and just say, let me know when you're ready. <laughs> you tried that way. Yeah. So, I'm all right. Fair <laughs> enough. It's like, I'm playing with the dog. That's what I call getting distracted. I'm playing with the dog. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I figured I was close, if not that on. Okay, so we're going to pick up with Marvel movies. Um, so we'll start. By, uh, here we go. We're going to go ahead and get into this final segment of the show for today. 
And this segment is going to be things we're excited about in 2020. So, of course, because I feel like ladies first is a good way to go, I'm going to go ahead and extend that out to the Crafty Cosplayer. So any exciting movies, TV shows, things like that, you're looking forward to seeing in 2020? like everything (laughs) um i get excited about pretty much anything and everything when it comes to it being nerdy um it this is the 25th anniversary of xena warrior princess so i'm really excited about uh there's going to be a convention that i'm not going to be able to go to because it's in la and i'm broke um but i'm really excited about living vicariously through everybody else that is going to be going into it so i'm i'm a part of a bunch of different xena groups and i'm like adding everybody that's going so i can live vicariously through them because there's no way i'm going to be able to afford to go to it well i mean you if you know if you can get there <laughs> you know and that's part of it too but i was gonna say whatever it comes to a con or whatever what I was going to say was, you know, you can always see about signing up as a volunteer. Yeah. The way you work the event, you're not paying for the ticket to get in. You know, I don't know if that's an option, but I'm not sure where. Let's see. I'm curious. Now you got me curious. And I don't want to look this up. But so what kind of exciting stuff are they going to be doing at this time? Um, they're going to have both. Uh, Lucy Lawless and Renee O'Connor are there. There's gonna, it's just gonna be like a huge Xena convention. <sighs> oh um, wow! So there's gonna be cosplayers and uh, panels and um, photo ops and autograph sessions and the whole nine. And so I'm like, I want to go. I want to be able to meet <clears throat> Lucy because I didn't get to meet Lucy yet. Um, so I'm like, I want to go. I want to meet Lucy, and of course, I want to meet Renee O'Connor again because she's amazing. Right. Uh, but unfortunately <laughs> plane tickets are expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah. Okay. So Ossips. Uh, Os- I can't even pronounce that. Okay. So Australian Zena. No. That's not. Okay. 25th anniversary convention creation entertainment at the Hayek Regency Los Angeles Airport. Uh, yep. August the 28th through the 30th. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Zeta 25th. Okay. So as it says, click there for tickets. Um, let's see. Yeah. Lucy Lawless, Renee O'Connor, Stephen Sears, Jacqueline Kim, Ted Ramey. Claire Stanfield, mm-hmm. Alexandra Tidings, uh, Victoria Pratt, Brittany Powell, Michael Hurst, Jennifer Ward, Leland, Lucetta uh, Vader, Paris Jefferson. Well, then they have a miniature schedule out. So I was trying to see. Of course, this is in August, so I don't know how. Um, let's see what the what is the cost of the tickets. I'm curious now. Expensive. <laughs> well, I mean, tickets to a convention are going to typically be that. And yeah. They won't get, you know, they won't usually do volunteers. Okay, yes. I like this. this. Please read this before purchasing any tickets. Um, 
Please be sure of which day a guest is doing a photo op or autographs before purchasing your admission ticket. You must have an admission ticket for the day of the autograph or photo op. Days the guests are signing autographs, taking photo ops are listed next to their name in the autographs photo op section of this website. Um, please indicate tickets to be delivered to via email, via PDF format. Must be printed out when you bring with you. Most customers should provide their PDF tickets within three to five business days, having placed their order. Okay, you're not telling me how much these are. You're literally giving me instructions about this stuff. But you're not telling me how much the tickets are, website. I need, I need you to tell me how much the tickets are. I'm just curious. <laughs> tickets. Okay, no, I don't need further news. I don't need, okay, <laughs> I got pictures. Okay, that's wonderful. I don't know who half these people are. I've not seen the show enough. Okay. <laughs> All right, why don't you just tell me what I'm, okay, seriously, website. Okay, now they got a parental advisory thing. The conventions are intended for adults. On-stage appearances by our guests may include off-color or inappropriate humor and profanity. Okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Apparently, there's going to be a karaoke party. You're still not telling me about tickets. Uh, <laughs> some talented theater guest Saturday night performances, cosplay contests, yes or no trivia, vendors area. Okay, you're still not. T- okay, convention tickets. Okay, okay, no, bring your ticket. You're just telling me about stuff. Ah, it is. Yeah, frustrating, stuff. isn't it? I'm like, what is the price? Admission to the vendors' rooms. Our vendors' area is flowing with products to purchase. You can expect to find photographs, T-shirts, autograph items, and a lot more. $629. Front row seating will have premium price of $929 sold out. So wait, is it $629 to get into the con? Uh-huh. What? Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So you have a general admissions weekend package that's $179. Then they have a copper weekend package that's $249. Then they have a silver weekend ticket package, which is $399. And then they have a golden weekend package, which is $629. And then, of course, you have. Okay, so you have general admission each day, and then you have autograph tickets, and then you have so let's just and then you have photo op tickets. So let's just see. Mm-hmm. So let's, just, let's just say I want an autograph of Renee O'Connor, just because that's the first person I saw that I recognized. Okay, so if I want an autograph ticket, and is this going to show me? Okay, sixty-five dollars. So you already spent. Potentially seven hundred dollars to go to this convention, and then you have to spend another sixty-five dollars for her autograph. Which I get that. Now I understand you're a fan of the show. Of course, you're going to pay that kind of money. Uh, but yeah, wow. it's expensive. Yeah, and then the photo <laughs> ops, of course, are separate tickets in and of themselves, and autograph. Mm-hmm. So there you go, kids. Um, I, I do believe the crafting cosplayer is going to be uh, set up a GoFundMe. She's going to be selling <laughs> crafting stuff. She's going to make some uh, plush little baby Yodas for your company to pay $45 a piece for. Because uh, she wants to go to this con, dang it. And in order for her to go to this con, she's got to sell a bunch of plushy baby Yodas. 
I don't think there's enough plushy baby Yodas to sell to be able to go to that. Like, and what? I mean, that's not even including airfare and all of that. Okay, let me give you the secret to airfare. The sooner you buy the tickets for an event, the cheaper they're going to be. Yeah, true. So if you don't but, wait till don't wait till June and try to buy a cheap ticket. I'm just saying, yeah, it's not LA, you know, yeah, you're going to have to do some Uber and then some finagling. Okay. You're going to make some things work. But, you know, yeah, that's crazy, bro. Like, I know they did, I know they've done in the past, they've done the, um, the Gathered of the Gargoyles cons for years, and they were done in Canada. And so mm-hmm. I was going to go to one of the Gathered of the Gargoyles, but they were in Canada one, which is how to buy a passport. And by the time I started making decent money uh, at job, they stopped doing them. Yeah. So, you know, here's hoping if they do that reboot that they bring them back. Could that be neat? Do one stateside. Do one stateside, Gargoyles people. Stateside. USA. Do one here. Please. You know, that'd be nice. And yeah, that's wild on the prices, man. But I guess, like I said, it's, it's yeah. you're getting all the actors and actresses from the show. Mm-hmm. You know, so and apparently Lucy. Okay, so let's see. Lucy showed up Sunday. This is for yeah. Be sure to know which day the guest is doing photo ops and photography before purchase your admission tickets. An admission ticket is required for the day of the photographs and or photo ops. So Zena's there. So Zena, Lucy's there Sunday. Gabrielle's there Sunday. Uh, Michael Hurst is there Friday. Jennifer Ward Leland is going to be there Friday. Um, Alexa Sightings is going to be there Saturday only. Um, look at the different things, and then, uh, of course, let's see, Brianna, Brittany Powell, who is Brittany, Brit Hilda? Okay, appearing on stage for yeah, she, she was, and we'll host the whole she was in a, a, she was in like a two episode story arc, uh, which was their uh, Nordic. Um, Ragnarok story arc. Okay, and then let's see. Musetta Vander is only going to be there Friday. See, and they got them spread out too, where they're not going to be there the whole weekend. So you've got to, like, basically, you would need to be there to show up on uh, Sunday. Just be like, I'm just going to get a video. I'm just going to get a picture and a deal with Lucy and Renee. Yeah. And just call it like I'm just gonna go there for one day. I'm not gonna go there the full weekend. Just gonna go. <laughs> Which of course that'll be the busiest day too, because that'll be the day everybody shows up. Exactly. You know, like you'd be flying. And knowing my luck, it would be so packed that I wouldn't even be able to meet them. Like I would just end up being like I would be the one that they would cut off and they'd be like, Sorry, we don't have any more. Like you gotta go home now. Be like <laughs> Lucy Lawless had to go home, do some shrimp poisoning. She's not gonna be able to make it. So that would be my luck. Hey, by the way, if Lucy Lucy Lawless or Renee O'Connor, if you guys hear this, hey, she met Renee, y'all. She met Renee at a con and cosplayed as Gabrielle. Don't you want to see her in this outfit? You know, help a girl right. out. Help a girl out. I don't know. I'm not saying put the whole bill, but help a girl out. Like help her out with an airfare <laughs> or something. I don't know. Like. Lucy, 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 Lucy could use a personal assistant. Renee could use a personal assistant. <laughs> I would love that. Be like, be like, look. She I'll will, totally be a personal assistant. She will carry your bags for you. 
She'll help you with your makeup. She'll even get you information on YouTube to help y'all start your own channels if you don't already have one. And she's an <laughs> asset. I'm telling you. Don't, don't, don't. I'll don't. get you your coffee. There you go. Do you need coffee? Do you need a bagel, bagel, scone? You need me to walk over to the nearest Starbucks and go get you a scone? I will walk over to Starbucks and kick somebody in the face and go get you a scone. <laughs> right? I will cosplay as one of y'all and throw a throw. What is the name of Zena's weapon? Does it have an official name? I know it does. Chakram. Chakram. I will throw a chakram and get you a coffee. <laughs> I don't care. I'll totally do that for you. You know, so yeah, there you go. If if you're listening out there, sponsor crafting cosplayer. She wants to come to the con and see you guys. There you go. Get she'll get your coffee. So, <laughs> it, so yeah, um, I'm going to be it, living vicariously through others for that one. <laughs> and then um, the other thing I'm really looking forward to is my best friend is getting married. Oh, uh, in March. And she's having a Marvel-themed wedding. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so do they know who they're dressing up as yet? Okay, so she's dressing up as Loki. And her soon-to-be husband is dressing up as Captain Marvel. Or uh, Captain America. Um, Each one of her bridesmaids and groomsmen are dressing up as different characters. So his um, best man is going to be Bucky. And um, I don't know who the rest of the groomsmen are, but um, her uh, bridesmaids are me and uh, two other girls. And um, I'm going to be Captain Marvel. And uh, her best friend from college is going to be the Hulk. Okay. And um, I can't remember who the other one was. Originally, I was going to be Black Widow, but... um, she didn't think that me wearing red and black to her wedding would probably be looked at as a good thing. <laughs> hey, 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 I saw that Black Widow trailer. She has a white black suit. Yeah. You can totally rock a white and black suit. <laughs> so um, we're, we're kind of going to be more like Disney bounding. Um, so I actually got the jewelry today. Um, but uh, I'm going to have a necklace and earrings and a bracelet and then i've got a red sweetheart shirt and then uh she's going to be supplying a navy blue um skirt so okay interesting yeah it's gonna be really cool so when is the wedding gonna be in march in march okay okay well that sounds like an interesting time to be had by all yeah, it's going to be really fun. So that will be cool. That does sound pretty awesome. So I mentioned Black Widow earlier, and I'm very excited about the Black Widow trailer. Um, yeah. I want to see how that movie is going to come out. I want to see how they kind of, because the timeline for this movie is it's right after the events of Civil War. So it goes mm-hmm. kind of there. It kind of wraps up before Infinity War. And yeah. so you get this story in between kind of her clearing her ledger. Mm-hmm. She talks about in Avengers how, you know, her ledger's led, red and she do, she wants to clear it out somehow. And so this is her clearing out that, le- that ledger that she has. So I think it's going to be interesting because, of course, they're introducing Taskmaster into the series. And then they're also introducing her sister, uh, 
Yamalich Kavoba, I believe. And she is the blonde-haired Black Widow that assumed the mantle of Black Widow for a while. Because, of course, in that school, uh, you really, you know, there are multiple Black Widows. Yeah. And so her sister, I could see them using her sister as a new Black Widow going forward. And I can also see mm-hmm. Taskmaster coming back as part of a league of villains to the other Marvel to the other Marvel heroes at some point, too. That'd be interesting. Because, of course, there's a point where you see him firing a bow and arrow, and you kind of wonder if maybe he saw Hawkeye do it. You know, because his whole ability set is whatever he sees somebody do, he can physically mimic it perfectly. So, like, out Mm -hmm. of the three people on the planet that can throw Captain America's shield, Captain America, well, four, technically, because Captain America can throw it the way he throws it. Because he throws it in a way where he always can get it to come back to him. No matter what angle he throws it. So the first one's himself. Then there's Bucky who can do it. And Bucky Mm -hmm. has started over time. And then Hawkeye can actually, in the comics, Hawkeye's done it. Because Hawkeye's that good of a marksman that he's watched Captain America do the trick so much, he knows how to hit the angles needed to bring it back to him. And then, of course, the last person would be, of course, Taskmaster. Because again, mm-hmm. he sees it. And I mean, he literally could just be watching a videotape of somebody do to, doing it. And then he can mimic it physically. So it's a pretty crazy skill set he has. So I'm wondering how far they're going to go into that in the movie. And so that'll be interesting. And of course, you got David Harbour, who is playing the uh, Red Guardian, who is the Russian equivalent of Captain America. And, of course, I know they're going to be doing some fighting and different things like that, so that'll be interesting as well. Of course, we also have Wonder Woman 84 coming out this year. And Wonder Woman 84, I mean, in a world where Gal Gadot's playing Wonder Woman, I wouldn't mind seeing a Wonder Woman movie every year, although I know they can't do that. Right? But she just, it's funny. I'm starting to notice Hulu is doing a lot of, like, television shows. Like, they do a lot of shows that are internet-based, like for one of them is called the Hidden Talent thing. And it's just different celebrities with their hidden talents. And apparently Gal Gadot is like super awesome at hula hooping. Really? So she shows that in one of the things. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And like I said, I hadn't seen the whole thing. And I just, I saw it as I was loading up the Christmas Carol I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just called like Hidden Talents. And so, like, Michael B. Jordan does impressive ironing. And then, like, there are other people that do different things. So, these little different secret talents that people didn't know they had. But, like, yeah, That's pretty cool. Gal Gadot was an Israeli soldier before she mm-hmm. got into all this acting and such. So, you know, a lot of the physical stuff she does, it's like at one point they had, they were showing her do sword training. And they had to stop her at one point because she did knife training as an Israeli soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good she already was with a blade and so like she's going after people whoa, 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 wait we didn't teach you that <laughs> yeah and she's like well no you didn't I already knew it and it's like I know but I, I gotta I gotta be able to respond properly because you could have just killed me just then <laughs> like, they had yeah. to get back and be like okay what do you know and then they had to go back and retrofit it to acting with the sword Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting how that played out. But so, yeah, Wonder Woman 84. I'm excited about Ghostbusters Afterlife as well because I think oh, I'm really very excited about that. The a Ghostbusters movie that ties to the root to the old school stuff. Mm-hmm. I know they committed to it. Matter of fact, I don't know if you saw this. There's a, 
I think it's TurboTax or something. It may be even TurboTax or, or QuickBooks, but they had Ann Potts come in and do the commercial. So it's like Ann Potts oh, was wow. her. And so they're actually in the old Ghostbusters building doing these commercials. It's like three or four of them. And so she looks like she hasn't aged a day since the movies. And so yeah. I'm glad she's coming back as, of course, Janine. And then they've already shown that I believe it's going to be Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver, Ernie Hudson, and of course Dan Aykroyd are committed to coming back. Mm-hmm. So it'd be my, my premise to pitch it would be that you know there's a point where the kids are driving a car around this, uh, that old town and everything, and then all of a sudden you just see Janine standing out in the middle of the road, and they're about to run her over. So they stop the car. She's like, "Scoot over! I'm taking you in." Like, scoot over! What are you talking about? It's like. I need to show you what your grandpa was up to. And they're just like, okay, how do you know what grandpa was up to? Because I'm your grandmother <laughs> type thing. And you find out that him and her got married, you know, which I'm yeah. kind of the way it goes. I know in the comics, they've, they've actually touched on them dating at a couple of different points. So I think that'd be neat to see them get married and kind of, you know, the whole, you know, the whole her kind of bringing them into the bigger world of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's what I'm pretty excited about for 2020. Beyond other things, uh, I hadn't gone into projects I'm working on yet, but I will go into that in the future show and kind of talk about what I'm going to be doing in the future as far as books and things like that goes. So, I'm just excited about the year because it's another opportunity to grow and learn and be better and do better. And so, I thank you, Crafting Cosplayer, for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate you helping me out this week. And I'm sure not a problem. Thanks for letting me come on here and talk. Not a problem at all. I'm sure the fellows will appreciate you stepping into their stead on that. And uh, I miss the Rascal Brothers terribly as far as this goes. And I know they'll be back in, they'll be back in the saddle as soon as they can. I hope they have safe time, safe travels on their trip and everything. And, uh, you know, traveling is always an interesting journey. And somehow, and I know you say that it's impossible for you to do this, I hope you get to go to that con somehow. I don't know what it would take. I don't know what it would look like, but I really would love to see. Because one thing to live vicariously through other people, it's another thing to just live. Yeah. You know, and if there's a way to, you know, get there, I mean, you know, you never know. But here's hoping that you do get there. I'd love to I'd love to see the pictures of you going. I'd love to live vicariously through you going. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> then you're gonna be there. I can see you going in and being like, I'm gonna sing karaoke. And it's going to be great. <laughs> and I don't know who will be there. Derg. You know, just set up at a hotel. You know, you just... You, the thing I tell people about cons, man, is you got to plan early. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you know how much money you're bringing in. You know what bills you got to pay, and I understand that. Uh, you know, and, of course, you know, I don't... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But just hope we get to go somehow or another. You know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you can tell them, maybe you can tell, you know, because normally at weddings you could say, okay, so I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna try to go to this convention. You know, normally the groomsmen and the bridesmaids get some sort of present. Can you just get me like, you know, money on a gift card so I can go out and buy, work toward getting a plane ticket or something? 
You know, like a preloaded credit card with so much on it that I could just reload it with more money and like put so much on it every month and then have enough money to pay for the flight, have enough to pay for the con, and then slowly start building up the money to buy stuff and junk because you're going to always buy stuff and junk when you go to a convention. Oh, there's no way you can go to a convention without buying something. There's just no way. Yeah, yeah. I've been to a convention before where like my ticket was purchased for me, but I had no money and I still had fun. But it wasn't nearly as fun as, you know, when I get to go and go experience the con as a whole and actually be the person to be like, okay, so I've got this and I've got that. And I brought this back and I brought that back. And my main thing when I go to comic Cons now, to be honest, is just to find cheap trade paperbacks and meet cool people. Yeah. You know, and well, one of these days. Yeah, I think meeting people is the best part about cons is just like going and getting to meet people and just be nerds together. And like, it, it just feels like such a safe environment because, you know, you see somebody dressed as as a certain character and you know, hey, this person's, you know, likes this show, obviously. And you can go over and you can just like strike up a conversation so much easier and it feels so much more like when you have, especially when you're a person like me with social anxiety like it just melts that away because it's like you already have that one thing that you know connects you to that person right 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 that and that's definitely something that's awesome as well i mean i know one thing about it is that when you go to a convention and you meet people like i i think on one of the episodes i talked about me meet michael dorn and asking him mm-hmm. about the Gargoyles reunion revival, if they revived the show, and he was just like, I'd love to go back to that world. And I was just like, yes! Michael Dorn would love to go back to Gargoyles. That's awesome. I can officially say that because I heard him say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even though Michael Dorn kind of reminds me of an old old school grandpa, you know, now, but it's like that voice is still there. He's just like, hello. You know, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I hope you get to go. Like I said, I don't know the hows or the what's, but I, I hope you get to go. Because, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You don't know, I mean, you don't know what they, I mean, we live in a world now where everything is so flaky and so fall apart and you never know. I mean, yeah. another 25 years goes by, nobody might be, be thinking about celebrating Xena anymore, you know? Yeah. So... That's what I mean. Well, I'm going to wrap this up with that. I thank you again for you being on this podcast with me today, and I greatly appreciate you being willing to jump in. And uh, listen, guys, girls, children of all ages, thank you so much for rocking with us on this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Above all else, do me one very important favor. Be blessed to be a blessing to somebody in 2020 for me, if you would. I greatly appreciate it. Take care, guys. All right, take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. You too.